in China podcast, where a British and an American girl satisfy all your curiosity and questions about what it's like to live in China today. And now your hosts, Holly and Nora. I hope you all have been missing us because we're back. A lot of people have been missing us, Nora. <laughs> I mean. Seriously, I've just checked today, and we've had emails and messages on Facebook. Like, where are you guys? <laughs> what are you doing? Like, we miss you. So, yeah, I know, but so I've totally nice. forgotten what this podcast is about. <laughs> just, just letting you know. But those of you just tuning yeah. in, this podcast is all about life in China, and today we have a really special episode because it gets very personal with yours truly. Why? Because we're talking about having a baby, <laughs> which is Getting why all the deets. <laughs> that's right. Which is why um, we've been absent for so long. I was off gallivanting and expanding. You weren't really gallivanting. <laughs> well, I mean, I suppose. Can you call it gallivanting? I don't know. Did you feel like it was a gallivant? Not the actual giving birth <laughs> part, but the baby part is. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. One step closer to taking over the world. <laughs> Did you ever see that cartoon, Pinky in the Brain? Yeah. <laughs> well, domination. <laughs> we should move on. Okay, so uh, before we get on, get going with the the baby podcast, uh, I just want to read an email that we had from Alan. So this has been sitting in my inbox for like four months. He sent this email just as you left for your maternity leave. Um, so this is from Alan W. Smith, and he's from Winnipeg. And so I'm just going to read what, what he said to us. Uh, Dearest Holly and Nora, over this past year I have listened to all of your 70-plus broadcasts. Oh, FYI, this is episode 76 mm. of Two White Chicks in China. Yeah, did we say we're the Two White Chicks in China? <laughs> <laughs> Because we are. <laughs> we are. Um, this is episode 76. Uh, so he says, I've listened to 70 plus broadcasts and several episodes more than once. Wow. Wow. Each broadcast has been both informative and entertaining. Listening has often been in binge batches. <laughs> what is with that? <laughs> it's great. I mean, who's complaining? And I found them all to, ha- uh, all to be a joy for a variety of reasons. The absence of politically correctness <laughs> is refreshing as it reduces the need for needing to read between the lines. Great. Uh, the podcasts are like sitting around our kitchen table listening to friends describing a foreign adventure and adding their feelings and personal opinions. Please don't change your format and focus. Cool. Oh, that's so nice. It is nice. So, um, Alan goes on to talk a little about a bit about himself. So he says, Over the past 18 years, we have been a home, a homestay parents to at least 120 students from various parts of the world. They came from high school and or university from Mexico, Brazil, Turkey, Saudi Arabia, Italy, but mostly from Japan, Korea, Taiwan, and China. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, the majority of the former students stay in touch via social media. Uh, many have completed school in Canada and are now working here and moving towards permanent residency. Um, there were certainly more than a few uh, Asian students who came here because they were not doing well at home or in school. To save face, the parents conveniently arranged for overseas education so they would uh, say uh, he or she is studying abroad. Anyway, knowing these students personally and hearing their perspective of world affairs, family, career expectations and life in general has heightened my interest in other cultures. 
In the next few years, I do hope to experience life firsthand in a totally different culture. I am especially interested in China. Uh, my wife is not so enthusiastic. <laughs> he goes on to say,、uh, I've been working in the IT field、um, for over 40 years and plan to retire next year, 2017, which is where we are now.、Uh, in preparation for staying active in post retirement, I recently completed. University evening courses and obta- obtained a certificate to teach English as a second language. For many years, I have volunteered and assisted refugees and newcomers to find housing, clothing, and employment. With my、uh, ESL certificate, I am now teaching English to adults in the evenings.、Uh, it has been an excellent opportunity to gain teaching experience and plan to do more volunteering once I retire. This brings me to my question. So, not only has this email obviously been Waiting our response for months and months, but I also felt like Alan's questions were really relevant、um, because my in laws have been visiting recently, and so this question is really relevant.、Um, he says, As an older man, are there opportunities for teaching English in China? Being paid to teach would be nice, volunteering would be of interest to me. Large cities do not impress me, so I would be willing to be in a smaller community. Learning Chinese at my age would be a stretch, but I'm willing to make the effort if that is required. Please be honest with your response, as my dream of going to China for an extended period of time to teach may have to remain just that a dream.、Uh, he also asks、um, uh, Should there be opportunities for me to teach or volunteer in China? What are some things,、uh, what things would encourage my wife、uh, that spending an extended period of time in China is something? Uh, she would enjoy. <laughs> right. So, the reason I wanted to answer these questions is because my、uh, husband's parents also、uh, actually do plan to move to China、uh, this October and spend two or three years.、Uh, and they also asked the question about working in China. So,、um, I happen to know that if you're over the age of 60, you cannot get a work visa in China.、Mm-hmm. So, if you were to work,、uh, it's all going to be、uh, not legal, I suppose.、Mm-hmm. Um, Which isn't to say you couldn't find work. Oh,、like、but、that. yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, a lot of things aren't done by the book here.、Right. So, that's not. It's not a definite no, you can't come and work here just because you can't arrange a. A professional work visa.、Right. You would just have to come on a tourist visa、mm-hmm. and then be careful about where you work. Yeah. And I think a lot of actually getting a work visa from schools and training centers, it's a lot of hassle.、It、so、is. actually, they would quite welcome the fact that, you know, you, you, there's no work visa available to you, so they, they'd probably be quite willing to take you on. I don't, I, don't know, I don't think age might necessarily be an issue. I mean, what do you think, Lara? We've、um, kind of discussed, it in, discussed this in the past, haven't we? Like, there, there is some. Like, for teaching, I think a lot of kindergartens, for example, prefer younger teachers.、Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I know older teachers here in Shenzhen. Yeah, I think that Shenzhen, and I think in particular, because for one, it's one of the youngest cities in China、mm-hmm. and probably in the world.、Um, And、uh, I think that because the jobs, even though there's plenty of teaching jobs here, I mean, there's plenty of them 
it's still one of the most competitive places in China, I would say, between here and Shanghai. And um, so there will certainly be jobs where they would choose a candidate who is younger just because they were younger. Yeah. Um, but that being said, I don't think, especially with all of Alan's, like, he seems really, amp- I mean, props to you, Alan, yeah. for, like, you know, you're about to retire, and yet you've been going and taking these night classes, yeah, that's really awesome. and, like, you're up for this adventure, and that's so cool. Um, I don't think that you'd have a problem finding work, especially if you're interested in going to the smaller cities. Yeah. Um, I don't know what you mean by small, like, you're not impressed by the big cities, maybe you mean the main coastal cities, like Beijing and Shanghai, but... I feel like every city in China is pretty big. I don't know if you're talking about, like, going somewhere crazy remote (laughs) where it's actually just a few thousand people or if you really, Mm. if you want to go just to, like, a second-tier city. Um, But either way, if you're not in the major, major cities, it'll be that much easier to find work because there'll be less foreigners there. Definitely. But that also might mean there'll be extra pressure to learn Chinese because chances are in those smaller cities... Fewer people will speak English. I think you can get by, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you could get by. I mean, I'd say that I... So my first year in China, I was doing um, teaching English, and I was terrible at it, but <laughs> that's beside the point. Um, I was living outside of Chengdu in a small town where there were literally only um, three foreigners total, and the other two were also employed with the same agency that I was. And um, I tried really hard with my Chinese studies, but I was starting from scratch, and so even after a year, I didn't really know how to speak Chinese. Mm -hmm. Um, But the other people, the other two foreigners, were not really even that interested in learning Chinese, and they got along just fine. So definitely it makes things easier if you learn Chinese, Mm -hmm. but (laughs) that's definitely not a requirement either. Like, don't... Don't think oh, yeah, that you have to spend yeah, the next five years yeah. perfecting this language before you come here. It's better you just come here. Oh, yeah. And as I, I think um, probably learning Chinese in, you know, at home w- is completely different to learning it in the real life. Like, Definitely. you'll probably, if you were to study for a couple of years and then come here, you might not even understand what people are saying to you. Yep. I feel like the, these, like the dialects and things are so different. You know, it's like someone learning... Uh, you know, uh, going to lo- like learning the Queen's English and then going to Scotland. <laughs> I feel like it's that it's that kind Good of luck. <laughs> you know, like if you're if you're not from the UK and you listen you listen to those you you learn you know the Queen's English and then listen to the Scottish accent. It's you might have problems. I think it's a similar sort of situation here. Agreed. And it's so much easier to retain the information when it's in a certain context. Like, I can't remember how many times this has happened to me where it's like, okay, I've studied the word in my flashcard sets, but then when I go to use it, and I, let's say let's say I use the wrong word and mm-hmm. a Chinese person has corrected me, right? because they correct you and you're in that situation where you're using it, that somehow sticks, at least me personally, mm-hmm. That just sticks in my brain so hard. Like, I never forget it after that, after right. I've been in that situation, because I'm like, oops, I made a mistake, mm-hmm. they corrected it, and it's found, now it's seared in my brain. Even uh, if I had, let's say I even knew that it was the incorrect one. Like, somehow being in the situation, or just, like, needing the vocabulary. You're at the grocery store, and you need to buy something. 
it's easier to remember that word when you're in the situation yeah. than if you're just like sitting at home and looking at your flashcards. Right. It just makes an impression on you, and that's just like an easier way for your brain to remember. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, while you're here, you can just whip out your phone and open the uh, written Chinese dictionary. You know, and just oh, search yeah. for the word you need. You it's know? never been easier with our app, <laughs> seriously. I mean, because even, like, you don't even need internet access, and you can just take out and use a scanning tool and just, like, scan a Chinese character, and it'll tell you what it is. Or, like, use a lookup function, and it'll tell you what it is. It's so too it's, easy. Seriously. Yeah, and then you can, like, <laughs> even just press a plus button, and it adds it to your flashcard list if you want to actually learn it later. So it's a pretty simple tool to use. Um, which, of course, we have to plug anyway, because we are the people behind writtenchinese.com, but um, we we personally use a tool on a day-to-day -day basis, so uh, we're real users, too. Um, and it's free, anyways. So, uh, what about his wife? What do you think we should tell his wife to console her? <laughs> mm. uh, well, first of all, there's plenty of women, yeah, I think, Yeah, there are lots of ladies. Foreign yeah. women. Hi oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah sure. But but also I mean, mm, there are, there are lots of like like Chinese women sort of like hanging about and <laughs> that's really bad. I think once women uh, people get to a certain age in China, especially if they're like grandparents, they're going to be like they socialize a lot. So I don't know. Even obviously there's the language barrier. Maybe there'll be a way for um, Alan's wife to kind of like. I don't know, socialize with these ladies in some way, like, l if they're playing cards or whatever, I don't know. Maybe that's yeah. a long shot. Yeah, I don't know about the grandmothers, like, the, the older, older generation. Mm. Well, actually, oh. though, there's a lot of pretty young grandparents. Oh, I don't know yeah. if Alan and his wife are grandparents, but... It, it, um, yes, they are. Oh, yes, they are. Yes, I actually forgot to add, there's a little bit at the end. He says, they're awaiting their uh, 11th grandchild. Oh, my gosh. So, uh, so by now... Um, the, the baby's been born tw oh. uh, in December. Congrats on that. Yeah. They're 11 steps farther than me in taking over the world, <laughs> apparently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, does, he does say, actually, that he, he hoped, this obviously this was a while ago, he hoped that you had a safe delivery, uh, which we're going to talk about We shortly. will talk about that. But let's first talk about some of the reasons why his wife should be at ease with the idea about coming to China. Uh, well... I mean, first of all, it's just going to be an adventure for her. If she's never been to China before, it's just somewhere different. Um, I mean, obviously, like Alan's saying he wants to work. I mean, she could also potentially do, t I mean, work if she wants, I mean, teach if she wants to. Um, yeah, especially if you're in a smaller community. I mean, just one of the, like I said, even in the bigger cities, it shouldn't be a problem. But if you don't need to work, um, for money, and if you don't need to work in a specific school, like, you can mm -hmm. always teach informally, and that'll also help you to, um, get familiar with the culture, too. Like, a lot of people like to do these cultural exchanges where mm -hmm. half the time they're helping them with their English, yes. and then half the time they're help the, the Chinese person is helping them with Chinese. Yeah, absolutely. Or even just, like, you could tutor someone like mm -hmm. in your own home or, or yeah in a coffee shop whatever yeah similar kind of thing um actually i was just we hadn't uh, addressed like alan is saying about volunteering mm. i don't really feel like that's a thing here like i don't know any foreigners who volunteer their services for english really do you have you no. come across that me neither no 
I think, I mean, you can very well do that. Um, but I don't know how seriously people would take, I I don't know, I'm actually, I'm not really sure this whole volunteer, I mean, because in general there isn't a whole, there isn't a large volunteer scene, or like charity scene Uh -uh. in China. I mean, it's becoming a thing in the bigger cities with like the hoity-toity rich (sighs) people, which I don't know if it's like actually legitimately because they care if it's more like kind of like for shows yeah for face um but you could always find somebody i mean if you feel like you've made friends with somebody and they need help with their english obviously you can volunteer your time that way but there you probably won't find some kind of formal volunteering and and if you do they're probably taking advantage of you like they might recruit you as a volunteer, but then be actually charging the students yeah. who take the cut, and then just pocketing the money. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or if, like, for example, if you, um, if you're teaching, say, teaching someone for free, chances are, like, you'll probably end up getting something from them in return. So there's no like money given, but they might give you a gift or something mm-hmm. like. You know that's uh, that often happens. There's never like a one-sided gift giving. You always kind of get something back from someone. So even if you're doing it for free, it's never really free. Mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So going back to like uh, how we can make China more appealing to Alan's wife, if she doesn't work, and I mean if they're both retiring, then there are lots of things that she can enjoy in her retirement. Definitely. There's a lot of, like, things she can do to pamper herself on a daily basis that are really inexpensive here, like manicures, pedicures, massages, scalp, like, Mm -hmm. they do really amazing scalp massages when you go get your hair washed. I mean, she can go and just, like, have somebody wash her hair and, like, style it every day Mm -hmm. (laughs) if she wants, and it's really inexpensive. Yeah, it's So that's really fun. And then they also have some um, online services where you can, like, order people to come to your house. So you can, like, order someone to come do your manicure in your own home Mm -hmm. or get a massage in your own home. Or you can – they have this service where you – they come and cook dinner for you, and then afterwards they, like, like detail your kitchen. They, like, scrub out all the grouts and, like, clean everything Sounds so it's good. sparkling. Yeah, so that's they have some really cool services here in China, which makes living mm-hmm. a lot easier. Not to mention all the online shopping you can do. A real shopping. Yeah, a real you know, shopping. those malls. <laughs> yeah, there's malls everywhere. And you can, but with online shopping, you can get, I mean, everything. You can right. order your organic kale or whatever you want to get from Taobao or any kind of um, beauty products, you can get them from Taobao, too. So it's really easy now to access, even if you're in a remote area, to access all of the things that you're used to. I mean, I wouldn't say all, but I'd say maybe like 90% of the stuff that you're used to, plus you Mm -hmm. get all this other stuff that you've never been exposed to before. Yeah. Which you'll miss when you go back home. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, and I think there are these, like, more and more organic farms popping up. So you can even get, okay, from Taobao, but there are services that will deliver organic veg to your, to your home. Mm-hmm. It's like a co-op. Kind of too. You have, yeah, like, yeah. a little membership, and then every week they send you a basket of whatever's in season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's tons of them around here, that's for sure. Yeah. And I think, um, 
you know, there are still there's opportunity for um, for like hobbies as well. Um, obviously, there are there are foreign women here. I guess it depends on. Um, I know Alan's saying they're not really fussed on being in a big city, but I think even if they're in a smaller place, it's going to be other foreign women that Alan's wife can like socialize with mm -hmm. and I'll bet that they have like special groups where they do uh, like for example here in Shenzhen there are so many groups for women who are doing like um, essential oils and um, learning about like uh, special like yoga classes or whatever mm -hmm. those kind of things so there's so many opportunities um, to, to continue hobbies that you might have back home or, or start something new even if you've yeah. got like if you've got free time then why not? Yeah, those WeChat groups make it makes it so easy to connect yeah. with people with like interests. So it's it's not as hard as you think mm -hmm. to find people who have similar interests as you. That's not to say that it's not going to be an adjustment, though. I mean, let's be honest. It's there. Not everything is going to be delightful. Rosy. Yeah, rosy. Yeah. But I think there's a, a lot of things, a lot of opportunity for adventure and uh, exploration and personal growth. Um, so I think she should do it. <laughs> I yeah. personally think she should come to China. Do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and I know obviously if if Alan and his wife come here, they've obviously got you know quite a few uh, grandchildren. But you know, you, there are lots of ways to communicate. We've kind of discussed it in the past. Yeah, um, did what did we say? FaceTime was probably the best way of communication that we've kind of figured out. Yeah, if you have an iOS device, using FaceTime seems to be the smoothest way. Yeah. Or Spaxtel. Or Spaxtel, yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, there are plenty of ways to keep in touch. And anyway, we're not talking about moving here indefinitely, just for a short period of time. Yeah. And how cool are your grandkids going to think you are <laughs> if you like, up and move to China yeah. and come back with all these stories? <laughs> yeah. And goodies, all the like, weird... Like Chinese snacks that you can bring back for them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, maybe we should move on to your story, Nora. <laughs> maybe we should. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, it's always hard to kind of like put myself back, even though it was not that long ago, putting myself back into the perspective. You know, it's like if you break your arm or you mm -hmm. break your leg. While it's happening, you're like, ah, this hurts so bad. And then afterwards, you're like, ah, it's not yeah, it was so all right. bad. It'll be okay for Hans again. <laughs> yeah, so I've been trying to remember accurately exactly how the experience was having a baby, being pregnant and having the baby in China. Um, and I'll try to keep this as short as possible because, I mean, I could talk on and on and on for ages about this whole experience because... You could write a book. I could. <laughs> Wink, wink. No, um, uh, so I'll just try to be brief and just touch on the things that were most, like, that I found most in, um, I, uh, made an impression on me with the whole experience. Um, first of all, being pregnant in China, um, going to the hospital visits for me was probably my least favorite part of the whole experience. Mm -hmm. Um... It was certainly, I mean, okay, and let me preface this by saying that I did not go to any special private um, yes. hospital. I went to a public state-run hospital. Um, granted, it was a good one, 
so it was probably more pleasant than some, mm-hmm. but it wasn't the private experience, which, you know, if, let's say you're out there and considering it, um, I'm sure that the private hospitals could offer you some uh, more luxuries, let's say, than what I yeah. had. Yeah. So I had, like, a standard that I was treated the same as a Chinese woman. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have any special privileges. We had some connections to get me into the hospital, and we had some connections to find me a good doctor when I finally did deliver the baby, but everything else, um, even though my friends were really, really helpful, was done in a normal way. Mm -hmm. So um, it wasn't like I had any shortcuts. So the visits were just really, um, let's say, clinical. Uh... They, it wasn't a warm and fuzzy experience Mm -hmm. by any means. In fact, I walked out of a lot of those appointments with tears, like, of frustration. Because it was, I never had a chance to talk to a doctor, ever, really. Like, an actual chance to, like, sit down and talk to a doctor. So my visits would be, I would come in. Then it would be this parade around, like, go to, first go to the second floor where you um, pick up the cup to do your urine sample, and then you go into this dingy little bathroom where the door doesn't lock, and you have to pee into this tiny cup. So you like Whilst pee. being something or other pregnant. Yeah, like pregnant. in a squat <laughs> toilet, yeah. So well, you're, like, seven months pregnant and trying to balance yourself and, like, not touch anything. And hold a cup at the same yeah, time. Yeah, because it's definitely not very sanitary. And then, yeah, hold a cup of it, and you're, like, pee on your hand. And they try to like, <laughs> and then they don't have soap for you to wash your hands afterwards. You know, like all these little things. Okay, that's that's my kind of more of a nuisance, but emotionally it's really taxing. Oh, I bet. Because okay. then, like, you're bustled, then you have to bring the, you have to carry this cup of urine like somewhere else into the hospital. Drop it off. Pick up a piece of paper. Take that paper over to the reception. Pay somebody take that receipt back to the lab. Like, it's all of these back and forth and back and forth. That's the only way a hospital can handle the population that it can in China is by all this, like, crazy bureaucratic Mm -hmm. runaround stuff. Yeah, and that that system happens regardless of, like, whether you're pregnant or whether you you have an illness. You know, I I remember the the one and only time I've been to the hospital, like, for a serious thing, I, I had, uh, like, a kidney infection or something, and mm. I, I had been in bed for a week before I was forced to go to the hospital <laughs> because I was so reluctant no, to do it. Yeah, like, seriously. Well, I, it, I had, by that point, I was so, like, I was so weak. Like, there was no fighting. I mm. was, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, I had to trips around the hospital so it's it, it's the same for everyone which so, it really sucks yeah and we, wheelchairs don't seem to really be a thing no like you have to walk there you know and even though you feel like you're gonna die yeah <laughs> yeah so that wasn't pl- i mean that whole the logistics of it is just not very smooth and especially if you don't speak any chinese oh like good luck you know you need you really need to bring a chinese friend with you if you don't speak any chinese yeah um, and not only that, but le- so, so when I would actually see the doctor for like two to five minutes, which is the only time, first of all, it was a different doctor every time. It was never the, it wasn't like, oh, it was the same person seeing me mm. through the whole thing. Um, so it'd be a different doctor every time. They would never make eye contact. They would just look at my book. 
Um, and then it's too 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 much time. Yeah. To you know to look. Well, that's you. what it is. And I would be waiting in line. Okay, so I would wait in line. You'd get this number that said you could go see the doctor. Then, once you have the number, you stand in line with other people. But people don't like to stand in line properly in China, especially in a hospital. And so you're standing there, and other women are just cutting right in front of you and pushing their way into the office. And so it just becomes very frustrating. And then when you finally make it to see the doctor, he or she doesn't even make eye contact with you. She barks out some kind of order for things you need to take. Doesn't tell you why right. or what it's for. Um, and then you're dismissed. I'm amazed that there aren't like seriously like hormonal women who have just like massacred people, <laughs> right? You know, they must just get so frustrated and angry. Well, I think they're kind of just like, used to it. Yeah, because that's the other crazy. thing is like being pregnant. You know, you have enough stuff going on in your know. body, especially towards the end. You have enough stuff going on in your system that even just like going for, you know, going shopping is can be sometimes really frustrating. Sure. Um, and not to mention doing doing all this crazy stuff. So, so, mm-hmm. so. The appointments were my least favorite thing. I have an advantage though because my father actually delivers babies for a living. So basically, what I did was I I just trusted the Chinese system to do the clinical stuff, and they did it brilliantly. Mm-hmm. They did they ran all the right tests. They caught anything that looked suspicious. They had terrible bedside manner, but they did um, they did everything technically yes. very proficiently. And so I used them as the technical side of things, and then I would kind of run to my dad for the more, like, emotional support yes, and yes. say, like, is this, this is, normal? Yeah, yeah, this like, is how I feel. <laughs> yeah, Dad, is this right? Is this okay? Exactly. Because, yeah. like, in China, in, they still have this mentality. And my dad was saying in the 50s and 60s in the U.S., they, all, they still had this mentality, too, where it's, like, the doctor knows best, and you don't need to question it. You just need to follow the instructions. Yeah. So in China, it's the same way. It's, like, they just tell you what to do. They don't tell you why. Or they tell you to take this, and you're like, what, why? What yeah. is it for? And they don't give you no explanation for it. They just assume that you just follow yeah, orders just like a soldier. Yeah. But then I would talk to my dad saying, like, this is what's happening. This is how I'm feeling. Like, is this is this okay? Like, mm-hmm. um, just so I had kind of a nice support system in that way. Yeah. Um, just to keep me balanced, a little more balanced. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, well, let's move on to the actual delivery of Dahlia. Yeah. So, um, Dalia Rosna Zlatozarova Makova. So, my husband is Bulgarian, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) On that name. Which, by the way, (laughs) that name caused them huge problems in getting her birth certificate because Chinese names are four characters at the most. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, they're two Two or three. So, Dalia's name has over 30 characters. And so that was a huge problem because they couldn't fit the her line's name. The line's not big enough. Yeah, they couldn't fit her name on the standard because, you know, they couldn't change because it's like a nationwide document yeah. with, like, all this special, like, gold. They have, like, gold, um, what do they call embossing or yeah. whatever on it. So it looks very official, this, yeah. like, birth certificate. Yeah. So it's not like they could just, like, make a different one. 
Um, and so they ended up printing her name in these tiny, oh, tiny just... print that you almost need, like, a magnifying glass to see wow. her name on the birth certificate, but we ended up getting it. Um, so she was born on November 12th of 2016 at 12.04, or 12.03, 12.03 a.m. After 47 hours straight of labor, <laughs> which was, which was crazy. Um, <clears throat> one of the reasons, okay, there were quite a few reasons why I chose to go to a state-run hospital as opposed to a private clinic in China. Um, first of all, my insurance covered the state-run clinic. So I ended up paying, at the end of the day, I think we paid about $800 total. And that includes all the visits, any medication that I took, um, and the delivery and um, discharge of our baby. Mm-hmm. So $800. So that, that was obviously subsidized by the government. So a private hospital would have been much more expensive. Um, another reason is that the private hospitals are always trying to sell you something. So you may not need the C-section, but it will mean that they'll get more money from mm-hmm. you. So the doctors kind of have, and I think this is not just a China thing. This is this is a this happens at clinics all around the world. So I didn't want the doctor's decision to be based on whether or not they'd be earning money mm-hmm. for the hospital. And then finally, um, the last uh, thing that I that made me decide to go with the public hospital was that they didn't offer pain management. Um, I really, really, really wanted to deliver naturally. I, I think this is the point where most women are like, what? <laughs> I didn't realize serious? actually, like, I guess I brainwashed myself with all these podcasts about natural delivery mm-hmm. that I didn't realize how few women actually do it because I heard so many stories of women doing it without any pain management. Mm-hmm. And so I just went into it thinking this is really normal and so many women do it. And it's true. But every time I tell people that, they're like, what? Yeah, what, like, <laughs> what were you thinking? <laughs> I'm so happy that I did it that way. Um, if you asked me on hour 40 if I was happy that I did it that way, I would have probably said no. <laughs> but one yeah. of the reasons why I chose the public hospital was because um, I knew that I was in a situation where I didn't have the option to ask for an epidural mm-hmm. or have one pushed on me. Um, and so I, I, I knew that if, if I didn't have the option, then I would just have to face the facts and just do it. And at the end of the day, I was able to do it. I mean, that's what you do. You just rise to the challenge and it's hard. It was the hardest thing that I've ever done, but I'm so glad that I did it that way. Mm. I recovered so quickly, like, and it, which is great because I didn't have anybody here to, well, besides my husband, obviously, but we didn't have anyone here to help us with the baby. So they send you home um, 24 hours after you have the baby, and, you know, it's if you're recovering from a serious operation or even mm. with an epidural, it's I don't even know how easy it is to move around afterwards. I don't know. I don't know. That would have been so hard, but I basically was like, okay, they have you have, like, a little bit of bleeding, but that's about it. Like, mm. I felt completely fine. I, I, think, I, I think the epidural maybe wears off quite quickly because at home... 
I mean, you barely, you're not even in a day, like, afterwards. You, you If you have a baby the, ne- the day, like, the day before you're out the next day, like, there's yeah. no hanging around. <laughs> I'm sure, but I can't be convinced that it doesn't slow down the healing process. Oh, I'm way. sure, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I, my approach to this whole thing was, like, okay, um... I'm going to familiarize with myself with what are the potential things that can go wrong and then find out um, what signs to look for. And generally speaking, like this is a tip that I heard on one of the podcasts that I listened to about natural delivery is that like complications take time. It's not like one minute you're fine and then the next minute like your baby's gonna die you know what I mean like it takes time and there are a lot of warning signs that happen if something starts going wrong um and so my my game plan was I'm gonna stay at home as long as as long as possible and like just try and deal with the contractions on my own until it was until it's time to go to the hospital and then go Mm -hmm. for the like the actual delivery of the baby that didn't work out as planned um I stayed at home for maybe seven or eight hours um, but then they just, it just felt really intense and like, I was kind of nervous and of course my husband was kind of nervous. Yeah. And so we went to the hospital and they checked and they said, oh yeah, your labor's starting, but nothing's really happening yet. Mm-hmm. So they sent me home. So I went home and like labored for another half, like the half of the day and then went back again. Um... And proceeded to just have, because I knew that, okay, so in the hospital where I had her, there were 48 beds for, um, for women who were in labor, but 92 babies were delivered Mm -hmm. during that time. So do the math. Not Mm -hmm. everybody even has a bed to, to lay on, let alone like, so I shared a room with Two to four women, yeah, depending on the time of day. Because mm-hmm. um, I was there for the longest time because I was there for almost two days. But a lot of women were, were in and then out, and so they would just wheel them in. Yeah. And they didn't allow me to have anybody with me, so I didn't have any friends or family there. We did end up sneaking some, like, sneaking a friend in at some point for, yeah. like, an hour. And, like, mm-hmm. my husband was able to come in for, like, an hour. Um, but for most, for the most part, I was just there by myself and laboring with these other women, which personally, I think if I would do it all, all over again, I would do it the same way mm-hmm. because there's something about like seeing other people going through the same experience that you are that makes it a lot easier than if I was like by myself yeah. in like a separate room. So I, I think it was really good uh-huh. to be around these other women. It's somehow support. Even though people don't, the other women don't realize that's what they're doing. I suppose it's like, yeah, some sort of yeah, support group. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's also like, okay, you're having contractions, but you see the person next to you who's like getting really close to delivering the baby, and she's like screaming, yeah, and you're like, okay, I'm having contractions, but at least it's, yeah, it's not, not as bad like, as it's her. Not like that. <laughs> yeah, and I suppose if everyone's screaming their head off, it's like you feel like, oh, okay, I can do that as well. Yeah. 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 Um, on, on the, on the bed thing, um, I was lucky enough to visit very soon after, I think, wasn't I, like, the night after? And, uh, yeah, I was so, like, I mean, obviously, I'd been to that hospital once before, that was the hospital I'd gone to when I was ill, and, um, but obviously I'd never been to the maternity unit, and there was just, the hallways were just lined with 
beds. Uh, fam- and oh, the whole family was there. It was like even the dog and the chicken had, <laughs> had come to, you know, be with the baby. And, you know, the grandmas would be holding the babies or eyes, whatever. You know, the, sometimes it would be mom and dad both on the bed together, like, because there was no, you know, not enough space. Everyone was just camped out on whatever they could sleep on. People were there, like, huddled around together. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, person, it was like, crazy. It was like you were walking through just like... <laughs> it's like a refugee you know, camp, basically. It is, yeah, exactly. People were making makeshift tents. And right, like, right. The, so I shared a... After the baby was delivered, then um, I was also fortunate, very fortunate to actually get a room, was sharing with an, uh, another woman who had had a baby. And her... She had both sides. So her husband's parents, her parents, and her husband... And they had set up, like, a sleeping bag, and <laughs> and they had, like, suitcases with yes. all this stuff, and, like, they had they were prepared. They had a hot plate. They were, like, making her all these different, like, soups, soups and stuff like that for her to eat, and they had all this gear, and they were just huddled around her, and every move she made, they were, like, dictating, like, oh, it's not okay to do this, and you need to do this exercise, and, like, you need to eat this, and drink this, and blah, 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 yeah. and she was just laying there like this empress, you know, and they, you know, they were just, like, fanning mm-hmm. her and all this stuff. And then Feeding it was... Feeding grips. <laughs> yeah, and I sent my husband home because he was exhausted. I mean, the yeah. whole ordeal was really exhausted. I was like, mm-hmm. one of us needs to have our head together. You go home and get some yeah. rest. So it was just me with this baby, like, next to them, and they yeah. were shocked. Yeah. Like, they couldn't believe. They were like, you can't. You can't take How care of this coping? baby by How yourself. How are you coping by yourself? <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was after the yeah that was yeah. after the fact. So the actual like getting the baby. So so basically there there isn't a whole lot of interest of interesting things. They they did try to um uh move things along by like giving me some kind of a pitocin to get things started after mm-hmm. let's say after twenty four hours. Nothing was really happening yet. Like, I had contractions all the time, but there wasn't anything actually happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just refused, and it was fine. Yeah. Um, it, that was the only time that I, I think... They weren't even, like, pressuring me. They were just saying, we think you should, to, like, speed things up, mm. you should do this. And I, I said, I, I called my dad, and he said, Everything seems sounds normal to him, so he said, "I think you should just wait." Yeah, and so I just waited, and then they manual they did manually break my water right. to get things because they thought because that was after like thirty five hours or mm-hmm. something like that, and still nothing was happening. So they broke my water, and that was a weird that was sensation. a really weird sensation. It was actually like it sounds like it might be painful, but it was like relief, yeah, kind of a thing because all that pressure build up, mm-hmm. and then they just basically like popped it like a balloon. It was like. Psh- <laughs> Feeling a little bit squeamish right now. Sorry. Yeah, maybe you knew should, what this was about. I know. Maybe we should have prefaced the, this whole podcast by saying like there may be some, you know, squeamish um, conversation. I'm not gonna go into super gory detail. Although, okay, I'll tell you that later. But um, so yeah, after then they they broke my water and then things finally did start picking up. And then um, once I got really close, I was taken into the actual delivery room. So that's the other thing, too, is where you're laboring and where you actually deliver it is two separate places. They're, they're very near to mm-hmm. each other. 
Um, but you can hear, it's just down the hall, it was just down the hallway, so you could hear all these babies being born. Like, as I'm going through the labor, I could hear, Popping like, out. one by one by one, <laughs> all this, like, ah, ah, wah, wah, you know, like, over and over and over again, and I'm like, when's my turn gonna come? Because so many babies were born while I was there, and I was just waiting and waiting and waiting. Um, so I went into the delivery room. Um, everything was going okay. It was, it was really intense. Um, and one thing, the one thing that I'll say that I found really frustrating was just that, like, okay, so at this point I had been, because it only took me about 40 minutes to actually, like, push the baby out. Mm -hmm. So I had already been in labor for 46 hours. Um, and that, my labor started at night. So I hadn't slept that night. So I hadn't slept for almost three days, basically. Mm. And so I'm running on the last, like, yeah, complete, like, on fumes. Just complete adrenaline push. And um, I remember I had a Chinese friend on my left side and then some uh, one of our contacts on the hospital on the right side. And as I'm pushing the baby out, I'm screaming at the top of my lungs. And they were... This Chinese friend was patting me on the head in the most <laughs> condescending of ways, like patting the top of my forehead. That was help. That would help the baby out, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and saying to me, "Don't scream! Don't scream! Don't scream!" And that, like, I don't know. Maybe that helped me to motiv- motivate me to get her out <laughs> faster. But that was probably my least favorite part of the whole delivery thing because I was like. Don't tell me not, because they, they do have this, like, they have this idea in China, like, Chinese tradition, where it's, like, if you scream... And it'll affect the baby. Yeah, right? like, your screams are gonna, like, enter the baby's psyche, and, like, it's gonna be, like, a dragon, and, like, scare them, and it's gonna mess them up, and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, it's definitely that, rather than grandparents, like, spoiling the kids. <laughs> right. It's definitely that one. Yeah. So, yeah, but yeah, then she was delivered, everything was fine, we even snuck uh, my husband in to cut the umbilical cord. Um, but here's something that might make people feel really squeamish and is a really weird um, thing. So, I had to fill out some paperwork prior to having the baby there, and um, one of the things was, like, do you want to take do you want to leave the placenta at the hospital, or do you want to take it home with you? <laughs> and let me tell you why I said take it home. <laughs> I had no intention of, do like, I don't, I don't, it's in my freezer. <laughs> it's in my freezer right now. <laughs> and I don't know what to do with it, because I ticked the box to take it home. And the reason that I did that was because there are a lot of products here which mm-hmm. are made from human placenta and people actually do eat it yeah. here. Yeah. Um and so at, at my talking like you can even get it at restaurants mm-hmm. and like high high end restaurants and stuff like that. Um so I didn't want mine to be sold right on the black market or like to some shady yeah. like cosmetic For sure. company. So I said I'll take it home. But now I have it, and I don't know what to do with it. I don't know how to dispose of it, because you can't just, like, throw it in the trash. No, no, no. <laughs> so, Yeah, so if anyone out there has got any ideas for Nora and I'm the I'm sorry, that's really disgusting. <laughs> but it's hilarious at the same time. And not only that, is like, I guess I'm one of the few people who tick that box, because they just, like, basically were like, oh, 
Yeah, they like, oh, you wanted to keep this? Okay. And they threw it in this, like, torn shopping bag. So it wasn't like this. It wasn't like they sent it in this, like, hermetically sealed, like, sterile thing. They literally, like, put it into somebody who had probably, like, brought their lunch in, like, a (laughs) plastic shopping bag. They, like, just threw it in this shopping bag. So when Vlado was, like, when we were carrying the baby home, like, I'm carrying the baby, Vlado's carrying my stuff, and then, like, a bag of human placenta. (laughs) So weird. So weird. Like, welcome to China. (laughs) It was very, very strange, and I still don't know what to do with it. (laughs) Uh, Well, do you know what they do with it at home? Like, what happens with it? Do they just get rid of it? I think a lot of people, at least, like, let's say in Bulgaria, they'll bury it in the ground. Yes, yes. Well, like, plant a tree near it or yeah. something like that. Um, I don't know. In the U.S., I think you can pay to have it, in, like, turned into pills, which you can take. Yeah, right. Because it's very nutritious. Yes. Um, and I saw some, like, recipes online for, like, making pasta yes. sauce and stuff out what, of it. What? But I just cannot bring myself, like... It's my own, like, it was inside of my body, and I'm still, like, so squeamish about it. I can't even look yeah. at it. So I don't know what we're going to do when we move out of our apartment, because it's just, like, probably going to sit in the freezer until that happens. We'll we take it with us. Well, when you told me, we <laughs> do you remember we Googled, like, what to do with oh, it? Yeah. And there was all kinds of things, like, make ju- like there was weird ones, like, making a stamp out of it and making jewelry out of it or something. Like, that's just weird. But that's, like, you would, you would just basically Use it, dip it in ink, yeah, yeah and then I, print it. Yeah, and I've never, I haven't seen it, like, and I can't remember if I looked at a picture of it, or uh, maybe I did, and I've, like, wiped it from my it's brain. It's pretty gory. I, it's we, it's smaller you've explained than, it to like, me, but I, I, I haven't It's seen less, it. like, disgusting than I had imagined in my brain when, because I didn't, like, really do a whole lot of detailed research about having babies before I had the baby, and so I didn't really know, and I always imagined to be this, like, big, globby thing. It's a small, like, disc, disc yeah. but it's still, it looks like a human organ. It, it, it is, like, an organ, and so it's... It's a weird thing to have in your freezer. <laughs> so that's like one of those only in China moments where I'm like, what do I do with this thing? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, does it, I guess it doesn't have a sell-by date yet, so you, you know you can suss out what to do with it. Mm. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So yeah, so that's be. I don't know. There's not really any um, big conclusion other than Dahlia's here. She's and super cute. She's so cute. Being a parent is way more fun than I thought it was gonna <laughs> be. It's so much fun. I love it. Um, and she, I mean, everything. She was completely healthy. She came out screaming. She was um, exactly three kg, which is about six and a half pounds, something like that. Um, Everything, everything since then has gone just fine. I take her to the local clinic to get vaccinations. I just follow the Chinese um, vaccine schedule. Mm. Um, I'll probably get some other ones from Hong Kong if I think there are any that are missing. But it's been a lot smoother and easier. I mean, the actual, I, I, I mean, giving a ba- having a baby anywhere is a really intense experience. I don't think that my being in China made it any more difficult other than the appointments. Like, that's kind of my summary is that it would have been a challenging experience no matter where I was. Yeah. And I'm definitely not sorry that I had it here. Mm -hmm. In fact, I'm really grateful because I don't know how many hospitals in the U.S. would have let me wait so long 
with having so many contractions yeah. for so many hours, and then would would have not offered me because I'm telling you I would have taken the epidural sure. had it had it been offered mm-hmm. to me like halfway through, but I'm so glad that I didn't because it. I mean, you get all these great hormones afterwards. You heal really fast, and I'm not trying to be an advocate for natural birth, sure. like whatever, you, like women out there who are listening, whatever you decide is. It's totally your decision, but for me, it was the right one. And being in China made it more possible for me. Mm. And um, it's it's fun, like, taking taking Dahlia around. Like, everywhere I go now, I just hear people yelling, like, almost yelling. Like, they'll see me walking with her across the street, and I hear this, like, in Chinese, of course, we're like, oh, my God, that baby's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, as a new mother and, like, you know, as a new parent, you always have that pride thing. And so although it can be annoying at times where people will be constantly looking at you when they're, like, talking about your kid, it, it kind of, like, makes you feel, yeah. makes you feel good. So, yeah, she is cute, isn't she? <laughs> I, I get that with my, my baby, too. Yeah? Cash? Yeah, my, my new Tell baby. Tell us about your new baby. Uh... He's also very cute. And blonde. He takes after his mother. <laughs> that's enough. <laughs> I have a dog. That's it. It's not as exciting as a baby. It's pretty exciting, though. Well, for me. Okay, yeah, so do you want to... a new member of the family, too. His golden lab, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sweetheart. Um, do you want to... Is there anything else? Maybe yeah. there is. Um, if you have follow-up questions about this, I'm really happy to answer anything. Um, if you've had, or if you've had, you, you've got your own stories about delivering yeah. in China, because we know we've spoke, uh, we've spoken to someone recently who had her baby in Hong Kong, so we really need to contact her and talk to her a bit more about her experiences delivering in Hong Kong. I'd be interested in that too. Mm-hmm. And we also have a friend who delivered in China in June, right? Oh yeah, last June, but she delivered in a private maternity hospital. Mm-hmm. So her story is also pretty different. So yeah, if you've got a different story or even something similar, like, because I know we've heard from women who've had children in China before. Um, so yeah, like, we'd love to hear from you. Mm-hmm. For sure. I think in summary, if I, if I look back on the whole experience, I'd say like, I didn't really have... So going to a public hospital, I didn't have a lot of options. Mm. Um, for example, I really wanted to have that like skin-to-skin contact. As soon as the baby's born, they put it on your chest. Yeah. I didn't get that. Um, but I did get the baby shortly afterwards, and um, then I got to keep her the whole time. Whereas in Hong Kong, I heard that they take the baby away like, they might do skin-to-skin, skin. I'm not sure if they do, but then they take the baby away for the first 24 hours to, like, monitor and... Oh, really? That's what I've heard, that that's a standard practice. But in China, they don't they do not do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just because you don't have a lot of options, it means that they know how to do the process so well because they do the same thing for every woman. Like, anything that happens, they just, they have plan a right and that's basically it and they follow plan a mm-hmm. and they like they're so technically skilled it's yeah. unbelievable there are two hundred thousand babies born in shenzhen mm-hmm. every year yeah. so you gotta imagine that they know exactly what they're doing no, no, no. yeah cool all right
Cool. Well, nice thanks one. for listening, yeah. everybody. <laughs> well, so before we go, I just want to give a little bit of a shout out to uh, uh, Shenzhen Stories. So last week, uh, Nora and I were invited to tell our story um, at an event. Um, and the, the event is uh, run by a guy called Trey. And uh, yeah, we had a really nice time. We yeah, went and it was. It, was, it was such a nice event. And this is a monthly thing where um, you can go and basically tell tell a story uh, about your life. It doesn't have to be related to China. Um, it's usually based around a topic, right? Right, exactly. So um, the next event in March, unfortunately I couldn't find a date. I'm sure it's there somewhere, but it's probably in mid-March because the last one was the 17th of February, so it's probably a similar date in March. Um, and so the next theme is close calls. But if you're interested, you can you can find just search for Shenzhen Stories on Facebook, oh, uh, nice. and you can find more about that event. I'm sure they'll be posting. So yeah, close calls. I guess you can interpret that however you want. And if you're in the Shenzhen area, you should pop over because Nara and I were really welcomed and we had a really nice time we and we did. met some really nice people. And uh, we'll probably be there again in March if we can. I believe we will. Yeah. So if you want to leave us a question, uh, you can go to writtenchinese.com slash voicemail and leave us a voicemail message. You can find us on Facebook as The Two White Chicks. We're also there as Written Chinese if you're interested in learning Chinese. Uh, if you want to contact us by email, you can get us at support at writtenchinese.com. And of course, you should be finding The Written Chinese Dictionary. Uh, you know, if you want to learn Chinese. That's right. Mm-hmm. Anything else you want to say? No, I'm just glad to be back. and um, <laughs> We're on it again. Yeah, we're on it again. <laughs> it's been too long. <laughs> it's true, and we should be back to a regular schedule now that I'm back in the office. And um, we'll post a few pictures now and again of Dahlia and her adventures in China <laughs> as a third white chick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can get her on soon. See what she has to say. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. All right. Check us out again. Bye. Bye.